You're listening to Lozano Smith's podcast, where we discuss important changes in the law and legal decisions that affect public agencies. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. This is the Lozano Smith podcast. I'm Joshua Whiteside of the firm St. Louis Obispo office and student practice group co-leader. Uh, here with me today is Sloan Simmons, my podcast co-host from the Sacramento office and co-chair of the firm's litigation practice group. Uh, today we'll be discussing the issue of student vaccine and mask mandates and how these mandates have stood up to recent legal challenges. I should note that we're recording this podcast on February 15th, 2022, and uh, right now we're currently expecting that uh, there's going to be a change to the K-12 school mask mandate uh, that's currently in place, and that that change may be announced as early as February 28th, 2022 by California's public health officer. Uh, right now, though, uh, as of this recording, um, what you'll be hearing over the next couple of minutes will reflect a kind of a current state of the law, if you will, um, as of February 15th. So listeners should be aware that our conversation is really focused broadly on the topic of student vaccine and mask mandates and the laws and court decisions proposed and made in response to the current mandate, not necessarily about what your school should do in the coming days ahead. Uh, with that preamble out of the way, Sloan, good morning. Thanks for having me. What do you mean, Josh? They're going to change? You mean the guidance might change? <laughs> there might be something new for schools to have to do? You know, that it's just, I can't believe it in the COVID era. <laughs> yeah. But Sloan, the pandemic's over. I mean, we've yeah. got 80% of adults vaxxed. It's an opportunity for all of our K-12 kids to be I vaxxed. wish. What a couple of years for school districts. An incredible couple of years for school districts to do all that they have to do regardless of COVID and adding COVID on top of it. It's been quite a burden that they have carried and quite a quite a challenge to have to be the public-facing uh, entities that are having to do the day-to-day decisions that impact kids when it's really largely out of their control. Right. And it, I mean, it just seems really odd, too, that they would be kind of thrust into the forefront of this um, when they're educators. They're not the scientists. Right. And um, to have to have board members who, who you know, not every board member is a scientist, not every administrator um, is reading every single CDC study or, or other study that's available um, online on these issues. And yet, instead of the health departments making some of these calls, it's now being deferred to uh, local educational agencies. But be that as it may, um, you know, the education of children is very important, as well as uh, their attendance in person. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing these mandates uh, focus around is, is tying these mandates to admission and enrollment and to continued instruction in person. So maybe we should back up for a second and kind of lay the groundwork for our listeners on uh, these various different mandates that we're talking about. So maybe we should start talking with uh, about vaccine mandates. Sloan, where are we at with the student vaccine mandate? I remember the governor announced that there was going to be one back, way back in October 21, if you can remember that far. <laughs> um, what, what happened with that? Right, right. So a lot of talk as of a press conference that the governor held on October 1st of the, the quote-unquote governor's vaccine mandate for students. There has been to date no officially implemented operative 
governor's mandate on student vaccines. What what the governor said at the time was that if and when FDA granted full approval, not emergency use, for various grade spans, that upon that occurring, there would then be a date and time in the future that 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 the state might, by way of a CDPH order, mandate the vaccine for those students covered by the the fully approved vaccine depending on age level. Now, once we hit January or so, the earliest that could have occurred, assuming full FDA approval, was going to be the next semester, i.e. going into the 22-23 school year. And so as we sit here today, there does not exist a CDPH-ordered vaccine mandate for any students, whether age 5 or age 18. And while there may ultimately be some action on the CDPH's front in relation to that heading into the next school year, I think you and I would both agree that the more likely probably driver there is going to be the legislature who has pending legislation out there at this moment in the California legislature in relation to the vaccine um, and potentially making it not only something which would be required, but something that might be required without exemptions uh, because the CDPH could require it right now for students if they made such an order, but they would have to, by way of the Health and Safety Code, grant exemptions, including on personal belief, for students. And so I think the place that that you and I are watching most closely is what's going to happen in the California State Legislature? Are they going to pass such a requirement for purposes of next school year? And if so, will it be contingent upon full approval or emergency use alone? And will there be exemptions, knowing that in recent years, those personal belief exemptions for the 11 categories of required school admission vaccines have been removed from the statute? So a lot to a lot to see between now and June. And that legislation you're referring to is Senate Bill 871, uh, and it would actually uh, keep in place medical exemptions um, as is consistent with current student immunization requirements. However, it would remove uh, the personal belief exemption from the COVID-19 vaccine and actually would change um, and remove that exemption from any future additional immunizations that might be deemed appropriate by CDPH. So for the next pandemic that we have to live through and and uh, if the CDPH wanted to recommend uh, that all students be vaccinated um, from that disease, uh, then this would remove that personal belief exemption from those future uh, immunizations without having the legislature to have to come back to the to the drawing board and uh, revise that statute every time that there's going to be a new immunization being uh, recommended. Interesting. Uh, so that that bill um, right now, uh, there's nothing that can be acted on it until after February 24th, a little quirk of legislation. We don't need to go into um, how a bill becomes a law <laughs> description, but we should see more action on that bill at the end of this month going into early March. And uh, as it makes its way, we might see some revisions. But right now, it would basically prohibit a public or private school from admitting a student unless that student has been fully immunized against COVID-19, again, without a personal belief or religious exemption. Interesting. Well, there are a couple of school districts that tried to do some, try to get ahead of, of that type of legislation and wanted to act early uh, to set the standard, uh, set the tone, if you will, 
for these vaccine mandates for students early. We've got two major uh, vaccine mandates of note out of LA Unified and San Diego Unified. Sloan, why don't you walk me through the the litigation that has since developed since those vaccine mandates were first announced. Right. So LAUSD and San Diego Unified got out in front of the issue in part because the view, well, if it's fully approved for the older kids when this was when we're talking October, November, heading into December, why not? Why wait uh, to cover those those spans where there's full approval uh, while while we wait for full approval for the other age groups? And so for L.A., you know, what was initially and, and parents and some other groups quickly rushed to attempt to block uh, the mandate in LAUSD. And the, the way that one applied was for students 12 years and older to be fully vaccinated. Um, if you weren't fully vaccinated, the idea would be you would, you would have available to you uh, the educational alternative that the legislature basically framed up for this school year, which was independent study. Um, they would not be disenrolled, but they would be directed to that independent study enrollment. Uh, the plaintiffs in that case um, came right out and quickly attempted to obtain a preliminary injunction. Based upon the arguments raised in that case, the trial court in L.A. Uh, denied the injunction and upheld LAUSD's vaccination requirement, um, finding that it was in the discretion, uh, you know, the permissive ed code for school districts under 351 six zero to enact uh, that that vaccination requirement so that was kind of one of the first peaks we got at a court ruling on a locally adopted vaccine requirement you know that being said since that time that was mid-december when the court ruled uh lausd backed off and determined to delay implementation of their vaccine mandate until the fall of 2022 so we got a, a sneak peek at what a court might think about a locally adopted Thing And I say there based on the arguments raised, because we do have a different decision ultimately out of San Diego. But that court there found that under the circumstances and the discretion of local officials trying to protect um, their student and staff population from from COVID, uh, that that health and safety need allowed them the discretion to adopt that that requirement. And to be clear, on the LAUSD case, that case is still alive. It was just the preliminary injunction that was denied with the court's reasoning uh, that we discussed. There was an amended petition filed at the beginning of February. A demur hearing is on calendar uh, for April, again challenging um, that, that first amended petition. Um, and then the court has otherwise set a, a, a merits hearing out in July for the case. Um, presumably if it survives the next demur. So that's where the LAUSD litigation currently stands. Right. And I believe LA Unified, they were looking at having 30,000 students, I think it was, potentially moving into independent study because they had not yet complied. So I think I think important for administrators and board members to be thinking of, if they are thinking about implementing their own vaccine mandate, and we'll talk about you know, the law coming up here kind of out of San Diego on this issue. Um, but if they want to act before the legislature speaks or, or we get a clear picture in law on this issue, it's the practical implications that still need to be considered. Well, what happened in San Diego? Yeah, so San Diego, their initial requirement was 16 and up as opposed to that 12 and up approach from L.A., uh, again, uh, some groups immediately um, initiated suit, including one suit which was filed in federal court by a 16-year-old student 
taking issue with the fact that religious exemptions were not made available in San Diego uh, for that mass requirement. And at the district court level, the trial court found that um, the student was not denied any rights under the Constitution or none of the student's constitutional rights were violated because it was a a rule that was applicable to all folks, regardless of religion or religious viewpoint. And as as a facially neutral general law, that the requirement was okay. Well, that quickly was appealed up to the Ninth Circuit, and the Ninth Circuit immediately stayed the mandate on the basis that while generally speaking, it was a facially neutral and generally applicable law that didn't discriminate based on religious viewpoint, San Diego was granting exemptions to students who were pregnant. And so that ultimately did, in the Ninth Circuit's view, this panel of three judges, result in potential viewpoint discrimination because pregnancy wasn't out, religious viewpoint was not. So they stayed uh, in a very short order, stayed the San Diego requirement, indicating that should the pregnancy exception go away, that they would lift the stay. And sure enough, San Diego Unified did act quickly, did remove the exemptions, the narrow exemptions for pregnant um, students. And that having been done, the Ninth Circuit vacated its order staying San Diego's requirement and actually issued kind of in a little bit of an unusual uh, approach, but COVID has called for a lot of unusual approaches. They issued a, a more long and extensive rationale and explanation for having lifted their, their stay of the vaccine requirement there in San Diego, explaining, um, relying on a lot of a long, long list of federal case law that gives discretion and authority in this area when it comes to uh, not only vaccines, but public health issues like communicable diseases like this in general. And so that that decision allowed for the the mandate to proceed. Um, At the same time, the student then sought review or sought an an immediate stay of that decision to the Supreme Court. Um, And as of February 11th is the latest filing in that Supreme Court case um, and what the letter talks about. And it's a letter from the student to the Supreme Court um, indicating that the court should act on its request for a stay, even though San Diego has indicated at this point that it's likely to or has the ability to um, delay implementation, including out until the summertime um, of its requirement. But the A student wants the court to take the case up regardless or issue a stay to the extent that there is discretion of the Ninth Circuit's decision for San Diego, if it determined to do so, to implement its vaccine requirement. Now, all this is complicated by the state court San Diego case. So uh, at the same time this was happening, Let Them Breathe is an organization um, that, that many folks have heard of by now. They've been very active in uh, anti-masking in, in schools um, since, since this all kind of got going. And there, unlike in the LAUSD state trial court, one of the arguments that was made in the San Diego case was the um, and in fact, it's not let them breathe. I'm thinking of it's let them choose in this case, right? Right, um, right. For, for vaccines, it's let them choose. Yeah, get, for masks, it's less, let, let them, them breathe. breathe, right? And one of the arguments raised before the San Diego Superior Court in that one was 
Well, the the health and safety code and other provisions give the authority to the state and the California Department of Public Health to require a new vaccine for purposes of school admission and enrollment. And in that context, like we discussed earlier, earlier, if the CDPH were to adopt such a requirement, personal exemptions would have to be, personal belief exemptions would have to be permitted under the statute. Um, that's independent from an actual new legislative change to make it a admissions requirement. And so the, the, the court's reasoning there was that in light of those statutes, this is basically an area of law, a field that is, is covered fully by the state. And because of that, a local school district doesn't have authority independent from um, the state to institute a vaccination requirement that in essence acts as a prerequisite or condition for in-person admission and participation. Which is interesting because in the LA case, it referenced the power that belongs to boards, you know, general power under Ed Code 35160, right? And so we've got one court saying district has discretion, has the ability to to assert its own mandate here. Um, although the LA Unified one was basically, it's not a condition of enrollment, but a condition of which program you go into, right? It's right. Uh, in-person or independent study here for San Diego. It's instead, no, the, the legislature has already spoken. Now, was, now was the San Diego Unified, you may have said this earlier, was this conditioned on, on an enrollment condition? Like they would not be enrolled in San Diego schools if they didn't comply with the vaccine mandate? Yeah, the, the, the initial requirement uh, before San Diego came to where they are now, as I understand it, which is a delay in, in full implementation. Although there could be, as early as the coming weeks, some degree of implementation uh, programmatically. Um, but it was it was a condition to attend in-person instruction for the spring 22 semester, for this semester. I see. Um, now, I think my understanding, and this the rationale used by the San Diego County Superior Court is one which we have talked about as a potential lane, like you know, one that maybe has, uh, whether ultimately right or wrong, it probably has the the greatest persuasive value of the arguments that you can raise on this issue, and maybe the only one with some per persuasive effect. I'm not certain the argument was raised in LAUSD, um, which could uh, in part explain the conclusions reached by those two courts. As of right now. My recollection is that in the, and correct me if I'm wrong, I do think that San Diego Unified had at least talked about and perhaps has appealed that let them choose ruling. In fact, they have. They, ha they did. And they applied, for, they applied for a stay from the Court of Appeal of the decision which the Court of Appeal granted. So piece by piece, lawsuit, let them choose files. They prevail at the Superior Court in terms of blocking implementation of San Diego's vaccine requirement on the rationale we just described, that this is a state, it's a field that only the state has authority to act in. San Diego Unified appeals to the Court of Appeal, and they, they, they file what's called a writ of supersedes, which attempts to stay the underlying order. And in fact, I think on February 1st, 
the Court of Appeal did grant that application, therefore staying that ruling uh, as it presently stands, and then add on top of that, based on what we understand to be the current approach occurring in San Diego, is that they are delaying implementation, at least full implementation of that requirement at this point in time, despite the road being cleared for them to, in theory, implement both from a state appellate court level and the Ninth Circuit. Okay, so in summary, we, we've essentially got a, a compelling argument, or at least maybe a singular argument, uh, that the legislature has already spoken on this issue through the Health and Safety Code. We have legislation pending that would modify and update that potentially while this case is ongoing to potentially basically, uh, in, in my opinion, probably nullify um, the mandate if it's already going to be required by the state. You know, why go forward with that litigation, I suppose. Um, but regardless, we have litigation pending, legislation pending, and that governor's announcement is just that, an announcement. So as of right now, February 15th, 2022, we do not have a student COVID-19 vaccine mandate in place, and um, we don't even have anything yet as uh, uh, as regards the uh, U.S. Supreme Court uh, addressing this specific issue for students in a K-12 setting yet as well. Now, more information will likely come, more updates will happen uh, over the course of, of the spring here leading into next school year. So I think it would be good for everyone listening to stay tuned, uh, keep their ears open and eyes open for uh, new developments in this field. And we'll definitely be pushing out an update through our client news brief system. And you can reach out to the attorneys at our offices uh, to kind of get the latest uh, information on this issue. So where we kind of still have open questions and uh, not a lot of clear answers in terms of what it will be, what school districts will have to do <laughs> for next school year with regards to the vaccine mandate, masks seem like we have some amount of clarity at the given moment, but uh, subject to potentially a uh, upcoming change. And I suppose I can talk about the fact that this student mask requirement, just to uh, give some background on this, it really stems from a state public health officer order that was issued on June 11th, 2021, last year. Uh, you may recall Governor Newsom was announcing the reopening of California at that time and holding a, a lottery for folks uh, who had been vaccinated and was at Universal Studios with a bunch of cartoon characters <laughs> celebrating uh, you know, the end of the pandemic, essentially. And um, very quickly after that, we learned that, no, not all the rules and regulations on COVID are going away. In fact, uh, where, <laughs> where they're going to remain is uh, essentially almost singularly having the greatest impact at K-12 schools on children. And so it required all individuals, uh, including adults in those school settings, to require masks indoors at K-12 schools for the 21-22 school year. And so that came through uh, CDPH guidance, um, although that guidance should be in quotations, because the mask part was a requirement, even though most of the other parts of that document were indicated to be recommendations um, from CDPH. 
And so that order on June 11th saying you have to follow CDPH face mask guidance and then the subsequent K-12 guidance that was released in July, all of that seems to be uh, consistent with legal authority that the state health officer has through the health and safety code. Um, And that section is 120175, uh, which allows them to take measures as may be necessary to prevent the spread of a communicable disease like COVID-19. So in the wake of that, we certainly saw school districts be challenged uh, prior to the start of the school year and into the beginning of the school year from parents who were upset with this mandate and rallied behind the the group Let Them Breathe, um, who then went to court uh, to challenge this mandate. And um, Sloan, my understanding is that resulted in a case out of San Diego that in November kind of had a sweeping conclusion that all of these various different uh, causes of action related to the mask mandate and whether or not it was a violation of the ed code or uh, an an overextension of the governor's emergency powers to give the state public health officer this ability to issue these orders um, all of those arguments seem to fall flat on their face is that that your understanding yeah so so as of november um of, of 2021, the court there, uh, Superior Court Judge Cynthia Freeland, issued a decision in which, uh, and keep in mind, in this case, the state and various state officers were the defendants in this case, in which the court dismissed, uh, without leave to amend, all nine of the causes of action that had been asserted there, uh, all of which were geared toward one way or another, attempting to undo or strike down the mass requirement. And as you said, I think, you know, the, the critical takeaways from that decision were, and and we've all, you know, here, for those of us working on it, you, myself, and, and various other student and, and other attorneys have, have read that decision over and over several times. And what's, what is the clear takeaway is that while there are other elements that are recommendations as opposed to requirements and therefore not binding, uh, but ones which districts can follow at their own discretion. The requirement as to mask in schools is a requirement, and it is a lawful requirement and one which the CDPH and the state had authority to issue. The idea that students have the educational alternative of independent study should they determine or their families determine not to comply with that mandate is not itself unlawful. Um, Students still have the choice. If the family doesn't want to voluntarily enroll in independent study, um, that does put put them in a tough spot, but it is not excluding them from school beyond things that that they can control. Uh, What what followed after that ruling was a motion for reconsideration by Let Them Breathe uh, that the court heard on January 28th, which the court denied. It found much of the motion for reconsideration wasn't based on new evidence or facts or law. And so uh, it stuck with its original conclusion as to those new arguments. The court also um, declined to adopt them or did not find them persuasive. And judgment was entered in that case so that while it has not been appealed, so there's no binding statewide binding appellate opinion on it, I think those of us practitioners who have read the decision as it pertains to the legality of and scope of the mass requirement, have found it persuasive and sensible um, and and perhaps not a surprise uh, when you peel back the onion on the various health and safety code laws at play and the long line of authority when it comes to public 
health and disease issues like this and the discretion given to public health officials. And I suppose I, I think it is uh, good to note here uh, that the mask mandate does have an exemption process uh, where students, you know, based on a medical reason, uh, can request for an exemption from having to comply with this mandate. And then uh, districts have to have a process for processing those requests. And so um, I think, you know, those types of protocols and establishing, okay, here's these alternatives of independent study being offered in lieu of uh, allowing a student to go to school with a mask off um, if they don't qualify for that exemption. It seems like that was kind of the main thrust is, is focusing on that student exclusion piece and the state being able to provide that uh, direction and that requirement for LEAs. Uh, it is notable that this lawsuit was not filed against a school district or a county office or a charter school or, or, or any entity that's actually implementing the mandate. And so we don't necessarily have something on the books, if you will, <laughs> telling us whether or not a board or a district can independently um, have its own mask mandate and, and what that might mean if it were to be challenged by a group like Let Them Breathe. Um, and so comparatively, you know, we have the vaccine mandate where there's the statue that is arguably speaking to this issue of vaccines, juxtaposed with that governing board power under Ed Code 35160. Here for masks, we don't have a statute necessarily on point talking about student mask requirements at schools uh, during a pandemic. Instead, we just have the health and safety code saying state public health officer can issue this. So once that state public health officer decides, okay, this is now going away to a recommendation or a strong <laughs> recommendation, uh, that seems to open the door for this, for any mandate that a school might want to continue on mass. Uh, to be implemented under and pursuant to that Ed Code 35160 power available to governing boards. What's your what's your thought on on that particular issue? Yeah, I, I I fully agree. That's where well, and I think what it pairs with, and and I, I think you're you're probably teeing this up for me, but with yesterday's announcement from the CDPH that as of today, the mask requirement remains in place for schools throughout the state, but that on February 28th, they will have by that point in time revisited and further reviewed the data um, to make announcements as to what that looks like going forward. Uh, and perhaps getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but uh, to me, the press conference sure seemed to infer an expectation that we're gonna have a change announced as of that date. Uh, what it looks like could go to exactly what you are describing, which is a strong recommendation that masks be worn at school, but leaving it to local districts to decide what to do. And if you're a district that decides to independently maintain that mask mandate, you're probably looking at arguments that are very much like those raised in the LAUSD vaccine case, relying on 35160, um, and your discretion. I think it's an easier argument still if you end up there, if your local public health officer at the county level is strongly recommending or requiring. Um, but I think there's also a reality here, Josh, that, you know, that their, their momentum is um, momentum on 
unmasking at schools is 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 fairly strong right now. We see it in New Jersey, in Massachusetts, in Connecticut, state after state, Rhode Island. Rhode mm-hmm. Island. They're all um, pulling back on that, and um, I think seeing what happens in those states over the next several weeks is will be a telling and a presumably a data point CDPH is going to look at. And if things remain calm and steady there and we don't see an uptick in numbers, then th- that will just further support those who have the strong position at this point that masking should cease as a CDPH state mandating requirement. I think we are we're close to a point in time where that tension may be the pressure there on districts on that issue may be released, but there's also going to be some hard decisions that have to be made at a local level that, that may themselves be subject to subsequent further uh, legal challenge, not to mention, you know, community input, political pressure and all that goes with everything COVID. And we have to keep our eye on any potential movement on the recommendation for universal school masking that uh, is still presently being made by the American Academy of Pediatrics and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, who are both expert bodies that the CDPH in particular has been watching uh, closely when it's been making its decisions and guidance and mandates. Well, Sloan, as always seems to be the case these days, our educational agencies will need to be ready for change. The best way to do that is to sign up for our firm's client news briefs, and listen to the Lozana Smith podcast. We encourage you to visit our podcast page at lozanasmith.com forward slash podcast to find links and additional details on some of the topics we discussed today. Additionally, please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Thank you listeners for joining. For Sloan and myself and all of us at Lozana Smith, have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care. Thanks, Josh. If you have any questions about this topic, please contact the hosts of this episode or an attorney at any of our eight offices throughout California. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the information contained in this podcast is necessarily general, its application to a particular set of facts and circumstances may vary. For this reason, this podcast does not constitute legal advice we recommend that you consult with your counsel prior to acting on the information you heard.